Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Molitsis. Normally, I'm with Carrie Alavel, but she is out today, so I'm running not solo. Today, joining me is Christina Sinsun Ramirez. She is the president of Next Gen America, an organization focused on youth voter engagement and turnout. Christina, thank you so much for joining me and for doing it, you know, so, so last minute. Really appreciate that. I was just like literally waiting by the phone. I'm like, is Marcos going to text me today? <laughs> Your lucky day, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, so Christina, um, I let you let, we can just jump in and get started. So you were last on our show in October before the November midterm election. And you told us that according to your data and the numbers you were seeing and the engagement you were working on with Next Gen America, that we would see strong, near record level youth turnout. And it was great, you know, like, cool. You know, let's talk about how awesome that would be. But, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, that's her job. She's supposed <laughs> to tell us this. She's not going to be like, <laughs> she's not going to be like, yo, it looks bad. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you got you to gotta do a little cheerleading maybe and, and but you know what? You were right. Youth turnout was strong. Was yeah, we had the second highest youth voter turnout for a midterm in the last 30 years, which is when like data was starting to be tracked by age. And so it's a huge, huge turnout. And um, everyone, if you know a young voter that voted in this midterm, you can likely thank them because they helped save American democracy. We saw not just one of the highest youth voter turnouts, but a significant number by a 28 point margin voted for Democrats. So Fetterman, Senator Fetter, John Fetterman from the great state of Pennsylvania, a seat Democrats flipped. 70% of young voters voted for Fetterman. John Kelly um, in, uh, or Kelly in Arizona, um, 76% Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly, sorry, it was like all the Johns are getting confused. Mark Kelly, <laughs> 76% of young voters voted for um, Mark Kelly. So you just see huge, huge numbers. And it canceled out the Republican uh, uh, boomer vote um, nationally, just because of the sheer number that voted for Democrats, even though young people represent a smaller fraction of the overall electorate. So I was I was digging around for for numbers. And I came across the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement Circle. I think they're at are they at Tufts? Maybe they're at Tufts. They're like the best institute on youth voting. voting. Oh, they are. Okay, because yeah. they released the report, but it was right after the election. And I'm always a little skeptical of reports right after the election because votes were still being counted, and uh, and uh, the exit polls haven't been adjusted. But according to the report, they had 27 percent youth turnout nationally, uh, which was the second highest. Um, that they'd seen. The highest was in 2018, where it was at, I think, 31%. This is an increase from about 20, 21% in previous midterm cycles. So a pretty significant increase. And um, do you think those numbers are accurate? I mean, just because, you know, or do you have more updated information or so those numbers are, they, Circle does great job gathering information from exit polling. What's important to note is that voter files, which if you're not like a politics nerd, is you know where all the election data is kept by counties and the information um, is then uh, made available. It slowly comes online like in February and March. So as the voter file comes out for each state, we'll get greater clarity. But okay. some people believe that Circle's numbers are pretty are not only very accurate, but then when the voter file comes out, we actually could see an increase uh, mm -hmm. in the overall turnout of young voters. 
So one of the things that they found too is that even though over, you know, nationally it was at 27%, uh, we do know overall that turnout wasn't great in New York State, wasn't great in California, sort of sell, uh, safe blue states. According to their numbers, in the battleground states, the states that decided who controlled the Senate, that youth turnout was actually around 33%. So that would be even higher than that 2018 national vote. Uh, and I know you guys at NextGen were really focused on some of those battleground states. So did you have something to do with that? Well, uh, NextGen, along with other youth groups, helps turn young people out. We do run the largest operation in the country. We were on 245 college campuses. Um, we were targeting 9.6 million young progressives. In Pennsylvania alone, we contacted 90% of young eligible voters. Y'all helped us recruit volunteers. They helped send and call tw send 25 million texts and calls to young people across the country. So um, we are really proud of what we did to help get young people out and like literally pull them to the polls sometimes. But I think that young people also, we can sadly have to, thank Republicans who took away the right of millions of young women to decide what happened with their own bodies, their own future, their own health, because we saw a huge surge across states of young women registering on their own. So we pivoted a lot of our work to just focus on mobilizing all of these new young people that were registering on their own. And I think the number is that 71% of young women voted for Democrats, 53% of young men voted for Democrats. So an almost 20 point margin based on gender where young women felt particularly under attack by the reversal and rollback on the rights of abortion access. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely want to get into sort of the, the issues in a bit, because I think that's going to be very salient as we talk about 2024 uh, moving forward. So I just want to stick a little bit, you know, let's just stay with uh, the turnout for now, um, just as sort of a table setting, because I'm, I'm, I think if somebody's listening, they go only 27% of, of young people voted. That doesn't sound so impressive, maybe. And if you look at some of the older generations, you know, they're about 50%, you know, so it feels like the number is low. Now you can, you know, what I was doing is I go back and I look, you know, a couple of cycles ago and, and youth turnout was around 20, 21%. So you're talking about a third uh, improvement in just two cycles, which is pretty impressive, I think. But um, is, is there is there concern that those numbers still are, are you know, they could be better or they're still too low? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the common myths about young people, there's several, but one is that young people are apathetic, that they don't care politically. This is actually the most politically engaged generation in American history, uh, both by voting patterns, by volunteering, by participating in uh, social justice protests and other things to try and shift policy and change the world. Um, we always need to increase. Young people do vote less than their older generations, but that's also by design. And we're also trying to build a culture of voting. And next gen work, this is our year we're celebrating our 10 year anniversary. Congrats. And we, thank you. And when we started and we people told us that it was a waste of money and time that young people would never turn out. And now you have everyone from the president to the leadership in the Democratic Party being like, oh my God, thank you young people for coming out and saving democracy oh. uh, this election. And oh my God, can you imagine? Oh my God, we are, I was terrified, right? Like if young people didn't come out, where would we be right now? And on any set of issues that we care about, we've been able to really fend off what could have been really dangerous long-term for our country and the planet with climate change. But at 27%, what I see is a call 
to action. We know that young people are reliably progressives, that they care about building a country that's more fair, more inclusive, more just. So they will turn out if we spend the time and money on them. So we need to spend more time, more money on investing in the power of young people. That's what I see in this data. So there's one, there's this like bro science. I mean, it, it's, it's political science 101. I've never seen actual evidence of this, funny enough, but there's this sort of political adage that once a voter votes twice, that they're a voter for life. Again, I've never seen support for this. I don't know if it's true or not, but politi politicals, they believe it. And so I'm just struck by like your challenge because your challenge isn't to get young people to vote or getting voters to vote. Your challenge is to get somebody who typically hasn't voted before and getting them interested in voting. So you're always starting, it's almost like Sisyphus, right? In the boulder, you're always starting from the bottom because, you know, once they grow up and they're, you know, maybe if this, if this is, is uh, true, but once you get them to vote, you know, they voted in 2018 and 2020, okay, you don't have to worry about them anymore. They will probably vote, but they've also aged out of your, of your like youth voter category, right? So I, I'm, I'm appreciative of the challenge and why a lot of people maybe didn't want to deal with it because it seems a lot harder to get youth, the youth vote motivated to vote uh, and engage because they don't have that history. So what, what do you find is, um, I mean, I guess the Republicans are a big part of motivating them, but um, how hard of a sale is it really to get them to register, to even just register, not even vote, just to get them to even think about, okay, this is something I have to do now. Well, I think part of it is like we've seen big shifts in policies on registration and trying to, like when we make voting easier, more people vote, especially younger, lower income populations, which is why you also had right after the election, you had pundits, Fox News, Republican politicians getting on TV and saying, we need to raise the voting age again. Like we can't have these young people voting. Like that was their solution to high youth voter participation versus maybe we should also speak to their policy needs. <laughs> Let's stop them from voting. But, um, you know, in states where we've seen registration become automatic, helped increase youth voter participation mm. states like Michigan. We're about to see Nevada have automatic voter registration. Oh, yes. Yeah, and we're working in states to also have uh, pre-registration. So if you're under 18, you can register um, and get ready for that process. But, you know, the, on the two-cycle like if you vote two cycles, you become a long-term voter. I think what's also more important is because the data is unclear on that, but what is clear is if you vote in a general and a midterm, you're likely to be picked up by a candidate or party. The problem with young voters is that most candidates and party would not pick them up as part of their universe and target because they were unlikely voters or they were new voters. They were not going to be reliable. So they weren't going to put them in their universe. And mm -hmm. young people say, I didn't vote because I didn't know who to vote for. No one told me. No one contacted me. I didn't know who the candidates were. So that's where we come in. And our goal is to get those folks to become multi-cycle voters, regular voters, so that candidates and campaigns do pick them up. And I think we're also going to see a big shift where Democrats and candidates are responding a lot more and investing in young people that they need to do a lot more. That's a really big key. I remember in the run up to the election when Biden, I mean, he took forever to to do the student debt relief, right? Like that was a frustrating year and a half of his presidency, but he finally gets it done. And the polling on it is, is sort of mixed. Republicans are, you know, they're they're agitating against it. And um, there's this sort of subtext like on, you know, marijuana legalization, Fetterman, on student debt relief, it's like, okay, young people, you are getting what you say you want 
now you have to vote because if you don't, then politicians are going to say this isn't worth it. It actually cost us more to appeal to, to young voters than it does to just focus on the usual the usual universe, which you talk about, which are generally older people. And so I was actually terrified for that reason, because these are these are issues that I think are important. And uh, on top of that, immigration as well. And uh, if they didn't respond, then it then, you know, politics is the you know, it's it's an exercise of power. And if you don't exercise that power, which in this case is voting, then nobody's going to pay attention to you. It was a huge relief to see those numbers, I have to say, because like you say, now the party now, right, they start thinking, I bet your case when you're talking to potential donors and whatnot, it's a much easier case to make, right? I mean, it's a much easier case to make. I still think that there has to be a lot greater investment. We're the largest youth group. And if you look at, you know, there is greater investment also by the right wing. Like what the right wing does well is they know, for example, with black and brown men that they can't win the majority, but they can shave off margins. So you start mm-hmm. to see them invest in those communities. Even in Texas where I live, you know, I voted straight democratic my entire life, except when I was 18 years old and I voted for Ralph Nader. Like <laughs> my voting record is solidly progressive. Uh-huh. And I got targeted by Republicans for the first time in this governor's oh. race this with like right-wing mailings as a Latina and as a mom. Whoa. Uh, with like transphobic messaging and all kinds of things. And so they're just willing to expand their universe and, ex- and spend, spend, spend to shave off margins. And we're not willing to do the same thing. So like we were running into this election cycle in a very consolidated way, more so than we had in the past, Turning Point USA, a right wing uh, youth fascist group. And yep. I think we're going to start to run into them more again, not because they know they can win the overall youth vote, but they can shave off margins and so I think that the big thing is like, are we going to invest into the scale of the opportunity we have with young people? And really what you said, Marcos, is important is delivering on progressive policy wins because now it shows that investing in canceling student debt, um, taking the lead on gun safety legislation, on climate yeah, gun safety, on reforming marijuana, it pays off as well for political power. So how do you do you get a sense as, as you talk to young people? And I, I see your Instagram. I see uh, I see how you're out and about and, and working college campuses and talking to young voters everywhere. So I, I know you have your your uh, finger on the pulse. Is there a sense that their efforts, particularly in 2020, because, you know, this election just happened. But th- is there a sense that that they feel like, OK, it was worth it for me to vote? Oh, I think a lot of young people feel really proud of what they did. And just to also see how mad and angry pundits were on Fox News about the youth vote. Like, there's so <laughs> more people. <laughs> that was awesome. You know, just like, oh, they're so mad we came out and voted. You know you're doing something right when you're pissing off Tucker Carlson. Like, you feel <laughs> well, a little like, I just grew a little, a few inches, you know. <laughs> and so I think young people do feel really powerful And, you know, later this month, we're releasing with a bunch of other youth groups, like our call on the Biden administration and Congress, Congress as it is, like, we (laughs) want you to see progressive policy move forward. Um, And I think there's a lot of excitement, you know, especially on rebuilding the economy and looking at issues that are really important to young people that are also important to the broader public about raising the minimum wage or really, really strong support, historic highs nationally, but especially with young people for labor unions. How and this is a good segue then to that policy and looking ahead to 2024. Um, what's what is what is that agenda? What do you think is going to keep keep people engaged? Is it going to be 
Donald Trump is it or Ron DeSantis. I don't know if Ron DeSantis gets the same emotional resonance that Trump does with younger voters. Uh, but what what's what's your prognosis right now, and what do you think that people should be doing to to maximize that? Because we're going to need it. The Senate's tough. We can win the House back. We got to hold the Senate. It, brutal map, and then the White House is going to be a battle no matter what. So I don't think anybody should be under any illusions that it doesn't matter if it's DeSantis or Trump. We're gonna we're gonna have a real real fight to uh, hold the, the the White House. So the youth vote's going to be absolutely critical. That clearly. Yeah, I think that we have to be investing right now in the youth vote and laying the groundwork and getting to scale. You know, when when I think about what we need to do, I think about three things is one, we need I think on the left in particular, we sometimes are afraid of scale and power and we need to fully own that scale is where power is exercised in the youth vote. Um, the other thing is we have to wait, 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 wait. Can you explain that a little bit more? What do you mean um, by scale? You know, we it's it is good to have strong, robust organizations that can move people in mm. millions. Yeah. And it is good to be in positions of power. We fear, you know, I believe in legitimate authority, also because I come from like an immigrant community where we believe in like our elders and we believe in legitimate authority. And sometimes the United States and the left people are afraid of that. And so they turn away from scale. They turn away from power versus we believe in power, but we believe in power with accountability. Um, so I think one is, so how do we get to scale in the youth vote? Okay. Yeah. And then the other thing is we have to seize the opportunities we have with young women because young women really mm. just turned out in record numbers. If you look at those circles data and you look at turnout by women, women um, and um, there are different age breakdowns that it's really critical we invest in young women right now. And then the other thing is we have to confront our challenges and the truth is, you know, we are losing a portion of young men, um, especially black and brown men that should be with us. And so we need yeah. to really look at why that is um, and address that and speak to and understand there's sometimes something different between um, masculinity and misogyny and being able to tease that out. Yeah, no, there's that weird Andrew Tate, you know, subculture that is that uh, has penetrated definitely black and brown communities and uh <clears throat> It's it's clearly a challenge, and so I mean we've seen that gender gap everywhere, and it's it's unfortunate to seeing it to seeing it with young people, given just how much more progressive they are as a cohort, um, for sure. I think Republicans are definitely helping. I mean, I, <laughs> we just saw that uh, that uh, Kevin McCarthy embraced this report from uh, I forget which conservative groups were, but that the reason that they lost in twenty twenty two is because they weren't strong, they weren't they weren't um, aggressive enough on abortion and they quote, allowed the left to define their position on abortion. And, and McCarthy's like, yup, yup, yup. Because he, <laughs> you know, he serves at the whim of any one Republican in, the, yeah, in his caucus. Like Speaker of the house, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> she totally is. <laughs> or Matt Gates, depends on the day. Yeah. One of those two, but it, it's so, by all indications, rhetorically and even legislatively, that they're really hung up on abortion. And they, they won. They won at the Supreme Court. And they cannot not keep antagonizing it and centering on an issue that absolutely cost them dearly. It literally cost them the election last time. So if those young women are being motivated by abortion rights, and, and it's not just going to be abortion rights. We know that they're targeting all privacy rights. So we're talking everything from, from marriage equality to uh, access to contraception, to same um, to interracial marriage. These are all 
rights that emanate from the same Supreme Court decision that Clarence Thomas and Alito and all those guys just declared war on. So um, that Republicans are doing everything they can. I mean, they may be spending money, like you say, uh, to try to chip away at that youth vote, but they're also doing a lot to to keep our youth vote, you know, the bulk of it motivated and engaged, it seems. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, young people are overwhelmingly progressive. But the really interesting thing is like what I don't think Republicans understand is that or like Republican leadership, not Republicans as well, but like Republican elected leadership is that young people are overwhelmingly vote progressive, but a lot of them see themselves as independents, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're in this moment, you and I, Marcos, are old enough to like remember the, you know, we talked about this last time, the Democratic Party of the 90s. And we have moved so far. You know, there used to be a time period where it was hard to tell the difference on foreign policy between Democrats and Republicans. It was hard to tell the difference on immigration. It was hard to tell the difference on criminal justice reform and taxation a lot of times in the 90s. And Even now, Social Security, right? They were arguing, you know, some of them argued cut more. Democrats were saying cut more, but maybe a little less than more. I mean, it, it was it was it was rough. Yeah. So, I mean, like Republicans have emboldened our side, young people to be and, and like the Democratic Party to take a stronger stance on abortion and not like equivocate. And we're also starting to see big changes just even from a few years ago on like taxing the rich their fair share, saying, yes, we need a living wage, not a minimum wage. There are it's not just about like how the Republican Party has gone far right. It's about how the Democratic Party is actually getting back to its roots of being like a working class institution Mm -hmm. and at the same time pushing itself to be more racially just, more fair on gender equality, LGBTQ equality. So I think both of those components are happening and exciting to young people. So we're almost out, out of time. So I just wanna, I'm, I'm curious about what you think the the candidate archetype is, like the perfect democratic candidate to attract the youth vote. I mean, we saw Fetterman very effective in, in turning out and motivating and winning the youth vote. Uh, I think young people even made Joe Biden cool with the dark Brandon memes. I mean, so th- there's, they, it's kind of the, the power of the community is actually kind of remarkable because Joe Biden's really not that cool, but they made him cool. And so what does that, let, let's say, you know, a year from now, um, Ted Cruz is up for reelection, tough state, tough uh, in the presidential year. It, it'll be tough for any Democrat to try to make Texas competitive. But what would that candidate look like that would do really well with young voters that might motivate those voters to turn out? Well, you know, remember when Beto ran against Ted Cruz, he took 71% of the youth vote. Um, And uh, it's the third youngest state in the country. But, you know, you need a candidate that can speak to the diversity of the state and diversity of the youngest, most diverse generation in American history. And just in plain, simple English, can talk about how you build an economy for everyone. They can take really strong, clear positions on marijuana reform um, and also be able and willing to stand up for LGBTQ young people. Those are really core important issues. They don't speak to everyone. And of course, addressing the climate crisis, we are way past the days when I think we've gone a long way on, um, at least in the Democratic Party, we still have a long way to go of talking about the climate crisis in the right way. Christina Tsuntun Ramirez is the president of NextGen America, an organization focused on youth voter turnout and engagement. Christina, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks so much, Marcos. Take care. All right. Love you. Appreciate you. Bye-bye. 
So that is our show for today. Usually I, I was about to turn to, to Carrie and banter, but Carrie, unfortunately, it's just me. So that is our show for today. I'd like to thank everybody that makes this show possible. Walter, Dorothy, and Paul, and everybody, be, Kara, everybody behind the scenes that makes the show happen. And I'd like to thank you, our viewer, listener, reader at Daily Coast, for making this movement possible. Love and appreciate you. We, uh, we have a little bit of a moment now to catch our breath, but it won't be long before this Republican presidential nomination gets to, you know, gets really, really engaged. We're going to be talking about that. And then we're going to start organizing because next year is going to be critical elections. So, but until then, catch a breather. Guess I'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.